0: Chapter 11 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 11. Arrived at Zante, placed in a cool and pleasant chamber, attended by a skilful surgeon, and watched over by the unsleeping vigilance of Elizabeth, Faulkner slowly receded from the shadow of death, whose livid hue had set upon his countenance. Still health was far. His wound was attended by bad symptoms, and the fever eluded every attempt to dislodge it from his frame. He was but half saved from the grave, emaciated and feeble his disorder even tried to vanquish his mind but that resisted with more energy than his prostrate body the death he had gone out to seek he awaited with courage yet he no longer expressed an impatience of existence but struggled to support with manly fortitude at once the inroads of disease and the long nourished sickness of his soul it had been a hard trial to elizabeth to watch over him while each day the surgeon's serious face gave no token of hope. But she would not despond, and in the end his recovery was attributed to her careful nursing. She never quitted his apartment, except for a few hours' sleep, and even then her bed was placed in the chamber adjoining his. If he moved, she was roused and at his side, divining the cause of his uneasiness and alleviating it. There were other nurses about him, and Vasily the most faithful of all, but she directed them, and brought that discernment and tact of which a woman only is capable. Her little soft hand smoothed his pillow, or placed upon his brow, cooled and refreshed him. She scarcely seemed to feel the effects of sleepless nights and watchful days. Every minor sensation was merged in the hope and resolution to preserve him several months were passed in a state of the utmost solicitude at last he grew a little better the fever intermitted and the wound gave signs of healing on the first day that he was moved to an open alcove and felt some enjoyment from the soft air of evening all that elizabeth had gone through was repaid She sat on a low cushion near, and his thin fingers, now resting on her head, now playing with the ringlets of her hair, gave token, by that caress, that though he was silent and his look abstracted, his thoughts were occupied upon her. At length he said, "'Elizabeth, you have again saved my life.' She looked up, with a quick glad look, and her eyes brightened with pleasure. "'You have saved my life twice,' he continued." and through you, it seems, I am destined to live. I will not quarrel again with existence, since it is your gift. I will hope, prolonged as it has been by you, that it will prove beneficial to you. I have but one desire now. It is to be the source of happiness to you. Live, dear father, live, and I must be happy, she exclaimed. God grant that it proves so, he replied, pressing her hand to his lips. The prayers of such as I too often turn to curses. But you, my own dearest, must be blessed, and as my life is preserved, I must hope that this is done for your sake, and that you will derive some advantage from it. Can you doubt it? said Elizabeth. Could I ever be consoled if I lost you? I have no other tie on earth, no other friend, nor do I wish for any. Only put aside your cruel thoughts of leaving me forever, and every blessing is mine." Dear, generous, faithful girl, yet the time will come when I shall not be all in all to you. And then will not my name, my adoption, prove a stumbling-block to your wishes? How could that happen? she said. But do not, dear father, perplex yourself with looking either forward or backward. Repose on the present, which has nothing in it to annoy you or rather your gallantry, your devotion to the cause of an injured people, must inspire you with feelings of self-gratulation, and speak peace to your troubles. Let the rest of your life pass away as a dream. Banish quite those thoughts that have hitherto made you wretched. Your life is saved despite yourself. Accept existence as an immediate gift from heaven, and begin life from this moment with new hopes, new resolves, Whatever your error was, which you so bitterly repent, it belonged to another state of being. Your remorse, your resignation, has effaced it. Or, if any evil results remain, you will rather exert yourself to repair them than uselessly to lament. "'To repair my error, my my crime,' cried Faulkner, in an altered voice, while a cloud gathered over his face. "'No, no, that is impossible.' Never, till we meet, in another life can I offer reparation to the dead. But I must not think of this now. It is too ungrateful to you to dwell upon thoughts which would deliver me over to the tomb. Yet one thing I would say. I left a short detail in England of the miserable event that must at last destroy me, but it is brief and unsatisfactory. During my midnight watchings in Greece I prepared a longer account, You know that little rosewood box, which, even when dying, I asked for. It is now close to my bed. The key is here attached to my watch-chain. That box contains the narrative of my crime. When I die you will read it and judge me. Never, never! exclaimed Elizabeth earnestly. Dear father, how cruelly you have tormented yourself by dwelling upon and writing about the past— and do you think that i would ever read accusations against you the guardian angel of my life even though written by yourself let me bring the box let me burn the papers let no word remain to tell of misery you repent and have atoned for falkner detained her as she would have gone to execute her purpose not alone for you my child he said did i write though hereafter, when you hear me accused, it may be satisfactory to learn the truth from my own hand. But there are others to satisfy, an injured angel to be vindicated, a frightful mystery to be unveiled to the world. I have waited till I should die to fulfill this duty, and still for your sake I will wait, for while you love me and bear my name, I will not cover it with obloquy but if I die, this secret must not die with me. I will say no more now, nor ask any promises. When the time comes, you will understand and submit to the necessity that urged me to disclosure. "'You shall be obeyed, I promise you,' she replied. "'I will never set my reason above yours, except in asking you to live for the sake of the poor little thing you have preserved.' "'Have I preserved you, dearest?' I often fear I did wrong in not restoring you to your natural relations. In making you mine, and linking you to my blighted fortunes, I may have prepared unnumbered ills for you. Oh, how sad a riddle is life! We hear of the straight and narrow path of right in youth, and we disdain the precept... And now would I were sitting among the nameless crowd on the common roadside, instead of wandering blindly in this dark desolation. And you, I have brought you with me into the wilderness of error and suffering. It was wrong, it was mere selfishness. Yet who could foresee? Talk not of foreseeing, said Elizabeth soothingly, as she pressed his thin hand to her warm young lips. I think only of the present— "'You have made me yours forever. "'You cannot cast me off "'without inflicting real pangs of misery "'instead of those dreamy ills you speak of. "'I am happy with you, attending on, "'being of use to you. "'What would you more?' "'Perhaps it is so,' replied Faulkner, "'and your good and grateful heart "'will repay itself for all its sacrifices. "'I never can. "'Henceforth I will be guided by you, my Elizabeth.' I will no longer think of what I have done, and what yet must be suffered, but wrap up my existence in you, live in your smiles, your hopes, your affections. This interchange of heartfelt emotions did good to both. Perplexed, nay, tormented, by conflicting duties, Faulkner was led by her entreaties to dismiss the most painful of his thoughts, and to repose at last on those more healing the evil and the good of the day he resolved should henceforth be sufficient. His duty towards Elizabeth was a primary one, and he would restrict himself to the performing it. There is a magic in sympathy, and the heart's overflowing, that we feel as bliss, though we cannot explain it. This sort of joy Elizabeth felt after this conversation with her father— Their hearts had united, they had mingled thought and sensation, and the intimacy of affection that resulted was an ample reward to her for every suffering. She loved her benefactor with inexpressible truth and devotedness, and their entire and full interchange of confidence gave a vivacity to this sentiment which of itself was happiness. End of chapter 11